I'm Richard van der Berg. And I'm Duncan McLeod. This is Talk Central, episode 202 for the Christmas long weekend starting 22 December 2017. And our last podcast of the year. Talk Central is brought to you by Tech Central, real technology journalism. On Talk Central this week, Toby Shapshack is in the house. We talk about the biggest tech stories of 2017 and the most important new technology of the year. The year's almost done and that means it's time to talk tech one last time. Running a business keeps you on your toes. Wouldn't it be great if your internet connection could keep up? Introducing Business Class Fiber from Vox. It's super fast, reliable, and highly cost-effective. You get unlimited calls to all SA destinations, and it's scalable. So no matter the size of your business, you've still got room to grow. Get connected with Business Class Fiber from Vox and see what super fast internet really means. For more information, visit vox.co.za. Bitco is revolutionizing the way businesses connect. We're taking on your connectivity challenges and shooting our high-speed fiber internet across the country. Not just for some, but for everyone. Fiber is not a luxury, but a necessity. For business, for life, for you. And being connected is everything. So network with a tier one internet provider and take your business to the next level of connectivity. Bitco.co.za. Connectivity is everything. Oh, welcome to the show. How's it, Rechard? How's it, Duncan and Toby? Welcome to the show, Toby. It's good to have you on. First timer. Well, I'm a first timer, long time listener, and big fan, and the number course, one fan. <laughs> of course, Toby is the editor of that esteemed journal, Stuff Magazine. Editor in chief, I think, is your title. Yes, I'm the I'm the lowly publisher. Publisher and editor, uh, editor in chief and chief bottle washer. Also a um, public speaker, uh, speaking in various engagements. I see you all over the world, Toby, mm. uh, speaking at conferences and etc. Uh, etc. Et Indeed, a raconteur of note, I must add as well. That's Mr. Raconteur <laughs> to you, <laughs> and of course, um, best friends with Cole Niehaus. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's going to be taking my calls anymore. <laughs> no, I have a feeling not. You won't be getting any Christmas cards this year. After your uh, Sunday Times lead story, uh, when was it last weekend? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, thanks for joining us, Toby. It's great to have you here. And we're doing a special end of year podcast where we are looking at the big tech stories of the year, what really mattered, um, as well as uh, having a, a look at uh, some of the, the coolest technology of the year, technology that, that um, really had an impact. Uh, and there was quite a bit of, um, I think, quite a bit of excitement uh, in 2017. Um, excitement, panic, mad stress. Bitcoins going through the roof, cyber attacks, lockouts, ransomware. It's been, it's been a crazy. Busy year. Yeah. Well, yeah, you covered it. <laughs> and that's only, that's, <laughs> that's only by February. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So before we get into all of that and uh, do our year in review, um, Rechard, let's do our quiz. Do you want to ask yeah, the first question? Certainly. The first question in the last quiz of the year. Iona.fm this week announced a new funding round from which company? What did Elon Musk accidentally do this week? Third question, which telecom CEO this week launched an impassioned defense of government's plan wholesale open access network? A war of words has erupted between Huawei and its former local retail partner. What is the name of that retail partner? And the last question for the year, who did the US blame this week for the WannaCry cyber attack? As always, we'll get to the answers to the quiz at the end of the show. But Toby, let's talk about uh, 
Let's talk about the news, the big news this year. What, uh, what, what for you were the three biggest stories of 2017? Sure. I mean, where do you start? I think <clears throat> at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think the biggest thing that we've probably realised this year collectively is is the death of our social media innocence. You know, the revelations that have come out towards the end of the year in the U.S. Senate hearings, just how much manipulation by a very small number of Russian propagandists and Russian agents was able to swing such a huge effect. I mean, you know, fake news has has become a reality, a a terribly disturbing, difficult reality, especially if you're a journalist. And we've discovered just how easily people are manipulated and just how easily people want to believe things that are patently untrue that are patently false but they confirm people's prejudices and Mm. and that kind of echo chamber has really been a big thing i i mean there are lots of other major stories bitcoin you know hitting seventeen thousand dollars and uh you know the, the the rise and rise of 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 cryptocurrency i'm i'm a bit of a naysayer in in that regard because people say well you know that's truly come of age I think that the, the, the explosive rise of, of, of Bitcoin's price has more to do with currency speculation than it does the adoption of this new technology. And there's some interesting thoughts about how, for a millennial generation, this is the first big investment opportunity. And for those people who bought like under $1,000, they're laughing all the way to the bank, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, let's come back and talk in some detail about um, Bitcoin a bit later. But let's, let's, uh, let's come back to that social indeed, media indeed. And, story. And because, because I think in many ways that has more of an impact on our lives than so much else. I mean, everybody mm. always looks at Facebook, looks at Twitter, looks at Instagram. Apparently, Instagram is just as easily manipulated and, and people have, you know, uh, e- fallen prey to those kind of uh, messages just as easily. But what it really has is if, you know, if you think about it, social media, Facebook and Twitter were created in a democracy, created in an environment where you would think the best would come out. And the point, the whole point of it is that people can express themselves, whether it's what chicken sandwich they had for lunch or where they went or who they're hanging with or what they think of an opinion. All of those good things have been subverted. And it hasn't just happened this year. It's just culminated with this, the, the, you know, the Russian manipulation of the U.S. elections. But it happened with Brexit. It's, it's happened, you know, explosively in South Africa with the Gupta bots, mm. you know, a series of, of software uh, driven Twitter handles who, you know, attack Anyone who expresses anything against the Guptas, Andrew Fraser has been particularly good on this. Yeah, we've had him on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. That, that's why I may have mentioned him. Hello, Andrew. <laughs> um, and and we've just realised that, like all good things developed in a in a in a mostly benign organisation, they can be very easily manipulated mm. and turned into something quite terrible with terrible outcomes. And it's it's a true tragedy, I think, because... Is it, though? How serious is it? I mean, I see the Gupta bots on, on Twitter, and I immediately know that they are bots and they're fake. Um, who are they fooling? Well, you'd be surprised. Yeah. You know, I mean, I look at, I look at the vast majority of this kind of stuff. I mean, to an intelligent eye, you can instantly see that the kind of Hillary trash yeah. last year was patently untrue. I mean, anyone with a, a modicum of reasonable intelligence looks at it and goes, well, just pure out reasonableness. You look and you go, it's totally improbable, but it's not likely to be true. You know, they, you know they, the, the Pope is not going to endorse um, a, a presidential candidate. 
and people who want to believe that will believe it. And it's 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 an evolution of the I got it by email, therefore it must be true. Right. Um, the other terrible corollary to it. So so people see it online, they think it's true. You can set up any no name websites. I mean, there's that terrible website, Board Panda. That, that always pops up in Facebook. This little girl walked into class and you won't believe what happened next. You know, those kind Wonderful of clickbait, clickbait. headlines <laughs> yeah. have gone from cutesy videos of pets and kids and pets and kids meeting each other and, you know, little furry goats um, <laughs> to the same kind of lack of critical thinking about something really important like, are you going to vote to leave the EU? Who's, which president are you going to choose? And, and you've seen a lot of the discourse driven by that. But the, the other terrible side to social media, the death of our social media innocence, is, you know, it's kind of like road rage. You know, people, road rage is the one place where people can get legitimately crazy, berserk angry. You know, all of their pent-up frustration and rage, and they'll scream blue murder at you for absolutely no reason whatsoever. But it's it's the only outlet that they have for that kind of... Uh, built up frustration and you see that with social media especially on twitter people say things that are just remarkably awful and terrible and threaten rape and the misogyny and the the racism and the anti-semitism you know the the way such narrow interest groups be they russian hackers or uh, propagandists or or far-right berserker maniacs i don't know why we call them alt-right because fascist (laughs) <laughs> is as good a word as ever. Um, and, and, and people just say truly awful, humiliating, revolting things. And they, and they do it because they somehow think it's social media and it's somehow different and it doesn't matter. And but is, is it social media or is social media simply a mirror of, this, of the society and we don't like what we see now? Well, now here's we- the thing, right? So social media is, is the mechanism. But it's not the cause. You know, people were, were burning witches yeah. and, and running around, uh, you know, bad-mouthing other people in the age of the pitchfork. You know, you don't, you don't need technology to, to, to do this. All technology does is enhance human nature, yeah. both the good and the bad. So what you get is the greatness of humanity. You see great stuff. Uh, you also see terrible stuff, and it lets people behave abominably, mm. but with a far greater reach. I mean, it's so interesting to me. I mean, you've been you've been trolled a lot on Twitter, and I was trolled recently over this ANC conference. I made what I thought was a, a very uh, judicious point about the fact that had Cyril Ramaphosa been the president of the ANC after Mandela, what a different country we would be. Oh, in. I saw all the remarks, and I and I and I thought there was a. You know, like you made 23 years later, the man is the president of the ANC and he's got to pick up the pieces and undo 10 years of, of president's Zuma's corruption, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and what a different thing would be. And I got the most extraordinary racist comments about something that I wasn't a racist comment. Anyway, that's the nature of humanity. And because people have this mechanism that allows them to do it yeah. and to say, bitchy, horrible, untrue, vicious things. I mean, we're not even talking about revenge porn and all the other crazy stuff that comes out. It's, it's, so it's, it just shows humanity's greatness and humanity's darkness in stark relief. Um, you know, I used to get invited to speak at social media conferences, which they don't invite me anymore because I looked up one day and I thought, well, let's be honest, you know, social media is all about marketing. Either you're marketing your product or you're marketing yourself. 
what are you saying? You're saying, well, I read all these great articles, and if you follow me, you can understand the political or the social or the technology landscape as well as I do, if you read these things. That's the kind of subtext yeah. to something like that. And, and it's, it's been fascinating to watch um, the news cycle around the ANC conference. I mean, that's the other great thing about Twitter. It is the front page of news. If you want to see what's going on, it's a really great place to see what's going on. But it has the same problem that the, 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 the Russian propagandists were able to exploit, which is it's an echo chamber. You can mm. only hang out with people who have the same opinion as you do, or you can you know, hang out with lots of people who challenge your points of view. Most people are going to only read things they agree with. Or you know, ignore, block people they don't agree with. So it's the good and the bad. But it's 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 for me being the kind of predominant technology, broad mass market, mainstream technology oh. trend of the year. Sure, there's Bitcoin. Sure, there's been Elon Musk success stories. Sure, there've been a whole bunch of other major tech stories. But it's really the realization that this thing that we've we've thought was such a great new innovation. It's kind of like the internet in the early days, right? We're old enough to have been there where before the kind of brochure where corporate websites arrived when it was this wild west, you know? It's, it's, a, it's a death of our innocence in a way. You raise a very good point about um, Twitter in particular. If you, if you follow only people that, whose views uh, you agree with, um, when you buy a newspaper, you've got a, you've got a um, no thanks. You've got a, a, a flow. You've got a, a, someone checking content, someone checking facts, making decisions about the news of the day. If you're following social media and following only certain accounts, you're only going to get a certain, perhaps skewed picture of the world. Whereas um, a newspaper, they probably don't do it as well as they used to, but a newspaper, a good newspaper, um, should give you a balanced view well, of the a, world. There's a news process, isn't there? Yeah. So, so, so newspapers are becoming extinct. They're evolving. They're becoming digital. Journalism isn't. Journalism is more relevant than ever. Yeah. The nature of journalism, and people often equate newspapers with journalism. Journalism is very different. I worked for a wire service for years and years and years. I covered the Truth Commission and followed Nelson Mandela around for a wire service. I had very different deadline pressures than other journalists I had to file immediately on the spot and and why journalism is pretty much what internet journalism yes. has become it's is yeah. whoever can break it quicker faster um, but the practice of journalism requires that a journalist has some training they understand the importance of the role they play they know that they have to check information double check it confirm the veracity confirm mm. the source doesn't have an agenda uh, run it past an editor you know, make sure that when you publish something, that you're publishing something uh, that's that's factually correct. I mean, one of my other major stories of the year was this master deeds leak, mm. um, which which I picked up on on the first day, um, and was very circumspect and judicious about naming the companies that were involved because you have to do yeah. that. And there was and, a lot of rubbish was, written. Yeah. yeah, there was one blogger who I'm sure with the best intentions but with the worst consequences started publishing a whole bunch of stuff that just wasn't factually true. Mm. And as soon as you start doing that, well then you then you denigrate all journalists or all publishers, all bloggers. You 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 know, you you kind of lump everybody in the same space. Um, and the problem is people tend to believe it. They read it once. The first thing people read is what people mm. tend to believe. So if you get it wrong, there's, a, there's an added consequence that people will always assume that's the correct thing. Mm. And that's the reason that journalists have such strict practicing 
methodologies. You check, you double check, you run it past someone, you Google the names, you Google the figures. If you've got, you know, a hundred, a hundred rand is broken up into three different figures, somebody counts those. The sub editor, the sub will check those. There's a practice, there's a process that makes sure that there's nothing uh, untoward or incorrect or wrong about it. And on newspapers, a lot of stories get spiked. They yeah, just never see yeah. the light of day because the editor decides or the copy taste or whoever it is says, this is crap. Yeah. We're not publishing it. It's not relevant. It's Online, everything just goes through the machine. Yeah. And, and the problem is, is, you know, I always liken news online to a waterfall. Yeah. It's just this constant stream of stuff. And there's no way to say this story is more important than that story. In a newspaper, you know, because mm. the most important story is on page one mm. and then page three. I don't know why page two ever got such a bad rep. But um, uh, you, you know by the very nature of – or a news website, you go to the front page, that's the most important story. There's a, there's a, there's a curation of importance. In the Internet in general, on Twitter, what you've got is just this constant stream of what's there and what's relevant. Twitter has a lot to answer for, I think. They, they, they are not as strict with their policies as they say they are. There's a lot of really awful misogyny and anti-Semitism that I see. That Starting are, that with the US president. Unbelievable. <laughs> their terms and conditions are broken by a whole bunch, bunch of people. They don't do it. They haven't been able to corral this, this, these right-wing fascist I'm not allowed to swear, but you know what I want to say, <laughs> bastards, um, who can say and do anything. I mean, one of the other terrible things we've discovered is just how the right wing have been using um, social media and social media messaging apps mm. to organize themselves and, you know, kind of get a whole bunch of neo-Nazis. When did Chinos become a neo-Nazi uh, uh, uniform together so they can do the, the, the horrible stuff that they do? Um, did you notice how hard I worked there not to say the word <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Toby. There goes my editing this afternoon. <laughs> Timestamp, make a note. <laughs> um, and, and it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really kind of shown that there, there are rules for some people and rules for other people. If you're the president of the United States, you can do whatever you want because Twitter won't shut you down unless you're an employee who's leaving the company. The, the, the hero of the unknown hero or heroine of the of you know the the, the free thinking world this year um, they should make that person you know times person of the year there were certainly enough people congratulating them um, so the other major kind of tech stories I think that have that have really woken us up to the world we live in is all the ransomware and all the the, the, the cyber security related things this year I mean there can be no delusion any longer that we live in a very dangerous digital world and I, I kind of feel like I've been some crazy paranoid person for years you know going on and on and on about how dangerous it is to have things online a few years ago I went to Moscow for a Kaspersky event and met Eugene Kaspersky who told me a whole bunch of terrible things and showed me the you know the the, the deep web sites where you can buy people's passports and their ID numbers and and so I saw that firsthand, and I've been completely paranoid. I will not email any personal information, ID numbers, passports, numbers, scans of either of those documents. And people just do it all the time. I mean, the, the travel industry, travel agents insist you send them a scan of their passport. So after quite a lot of investigation, eventually I discovered the reason they do that is so they don't spell your name wrong. <laughs> you know, like you don't actually need those details. Yeah. 
to book a plane ticket. I know because I absolutely refuse to give them to anyone. And because I fly to lots of conferences, the organizers buy my tickets and they fight with me and I go, I'm not going to do it full stop. And because I refuse to do it, it never has a problem. I haven't had one issue where providing, not providing my ID number or my uh, passport number or a copy of either of them has prevented me from doing anything. And most people just give it up and do it. I was flying back from Lagos about a month ago and SAA's desk in the Lagos airport, they had what they called, quote unquote, a scanner. And they were taking a scan of everybody's um, uh, passports, right? So now it's not a scanner. It's an Android phone. And they're taking a photograph in to the camera roll of everybody's passport with all of your details no. on it. In Nigeria. Someone, so, well, that, that's irrelevant. Someone could have a, 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 bit, a bit of malware on that phone yeah. that automatically uploads everything on the camera roll to someone. And there they've got all these details. So I refused to do it. I had a stand-up fight with them. I said, forget about it. I'm not, you know. Um, so that, that's the kind of issue that people are becoming conscious of. Mm. Now ransomware, after WannaCry, suddenly all sorts of people who called me crazy are suddenly saying, okay, I get it. There's a, mm. there's a point to it. I mean, it may be mute given this whole Master Deeds event, which is 60 million details, both alive and dead, of South Africans, everything. I think, names, it, I, think the final, I think the final number was 75 million. So insane, yeah, insane. Yeah. And it was there for how a year, more, more. two years, mm -hmm. you know, anyone who wanted it. So all of that detail is out there, which means for our personal protection, two-factor authentication is going to be utterly yeah. important. I have two, two FA enabled on every service that offers it. Look yeah. at you, no, two you FA. TFA. TFA. Got the lingo down. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. I'm, I'm beyond paranoid. And people mm. people finally seem, and is, when I show people have I been pwned, and mm. I say, what is your email address? And mm. I give it to them. They're like, oh, my God, I've got the same email address. I can't remember. I'm like, in this age of, of passport, password managers, like one password, password or. Um, They're mandatory. They have it's to a no-brainer, you know. It's, not, it's beyond a no-brainer. If you're not using it, you are putting yourself at direct risk. You're a fool. Um, I, and I was one of them. If I'm you're not, not using them, you're a stupid not another one I have to cut out. <laughs> you don't. I'm very happy in public to say this is a shyster and he's not one of us journalists. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I can cough now. We're going to cut this, right? <laughs> um, um, what were we talking about? Yeah, so the last 18 months I've been using Dashlane, which is a fantastic piece of software. Password manager keeps uh, – it alerts you whenever a service has been compromised. I presume it probably uses have I been pwned. Uh, as well as other services, but um, Dashlane uh, is, is one of my favorite pieces of software for the, from this year. So let's go back to Bitcoin and crypto generally. Um, Toby, do you own any Bitcoin? I do own a small amount. Yeah. When did you buy it? Uh, God, I don't remember. But, yeah, but here's the thing, right? Am I mistaken? The current run on Bitcoin has very little to do with this mass market embracing of cryptocurrency. What it's got is people saying, here's something that if I buy low, I can sell high. Yeah. That's called arbitrage. That's called currency speculation. And that's the current thing that I think is driving the Bitcoin price. And the Bitcoin fanatics are, this is it. It's the coming of age. It's there. It's that. I, I don't think so. I think there's something truly and quite fundamentally 
game-changing about blockchain. Blockchain is the underlying technology, and that is going to have some real-world impact. Mm. And you see that. I mean, the people you have to look at to see if something has a meaningful change in the world are the bankers. Like, there's a reason I have my, my mortgage with a bank. You know, I'm my bank, I trust my bank. They have security systems. They are dull, they're gray, they dress as, as, as boringly as Duncan McLeod. They, you know, and they all run Windows. It's, it's, that is the way of the world. You want someone who's going to protect your money. Sure, you want some clever startup like Revolut or Shift who does something clever with a, a credit card uh, and foreign currency. I see Revolut now do Bitcoin, um, which is, you know, you can buy and sell Bitcoin. Very clever of them. But the real way you want to look after your money is with someone who has a whole bunch of protections and will warrant that if something goes wrong, they'll, you know, they'll look after it. It's not your fault or their fault, you know. Um, so, so banks have a real understanding of the fundamentals of making sure all of these transactions happen and people are, are perhaps unkind to bankers you know they are they are they do dress in chinos and blue shirts and you know but that's their job their job is to be conservative and security conscious and and minded in that way whereas you know it is the tech startups the fintechs who've got to find innovative new ways of doing payments and it's and it's 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 those kinds of people that when you speak to them they'll say to you there is something here. They see it. There is definitely a change in the technology stack that underpins how we're going to do things. But it's it's early days. I mean, the, the analogy, um, uh, Mark Anderson said it two or three years ago. You know, it, it's where the Internet is in like 1996, just after it became a mass market thing. It's still got a lot of development. It's still got a lot to be done. And then there will be perhaps a new way to use it. The other adverse effect of, of cryptocurrency and especially Bitcoin mining is the devastating effect it's having on, on the environment. Mm. To generate Bitcoin, you have to use electricity. By far the, bar, the bulk, by far the bulk of, of Bitcoin is being generated in farms in China. 60% is one of, one of the estimates. Next to those big hydro, hydroelectric dams. Well, they, no, they're using coal-fired. So, so, so this grand, new, fantastic, innovative, new form of currency and, and, and trading is using old-world technology, uh, very expensive electricity to generate. Um, and, and as the price of Bitcoin goes up, so the cost of generating them is going to go up. How is this some glorious, wonderful future where it comes at the cost of such enormous environmental damage? I mean, sure, you know, cars do damage and the, the, the whole uh, agricultural industry. I mean, it's one of the funny statistics I came across this year. The agricultural industry produces more greenhouse gases than the car industry does, but only by a few, you know, I think less than 1%. Still, so Bitcoin's fantastic, great, but look at the consequences. And it's like any other technology. We come along and think it's really wonderful. Let's have more of it, you know. Mm. Oh, look at biofuel. Let's run our cars on biofuel, you know. Actually, what's happening with biofuel is they're tearing down more forests in rainforest areas in the Amazon to grow wheat, not to feed cattle, but to you know, run our cars when we all should be using solar and electric, yeah. you know. So and until also, we get to a point where people are generating Bitcoin using solar, 
it, all the goodness is is outweighed by the fact that it has a real world consequence. There was a headline on this wonderful website I read called Tech Central that said, <laughs> Never heard of it. That said something like, you know, Bitcoin's dirty secret. <laughs> Do you hear about the guy that uh, mined glad we Bitcoin got you to click. in his Tesla? Mined so Bitcoin in his Tesla? Yeah, he built a rig in his car, in his, car, in his Tesla. In the in the boot, um, and he gets free power because obviously it comes from the car. But when yes. he parks his car, t- uh, <laughs> Elon pays for it because he charges his car. But Elon probably has uh, those. You know, he's got his, his his solar farm that should be up and running. Well, now that we have his cell phone number, let's just give him a call. <laughs> Did you take it down? In case you missed the story this week, he accidentally. I think he was sending a message to John Carmack. From um, what's the Facebook uh, Oculus? Oculus. Yeah. And he, instead of sending him a direct message, he sent it on the pub, on on his public Twitter timeline, saying, "Please give me a call." And here's my cell phone number. <laughs> I wonder how many calls he got. It must have crashed his phone. Well, Bloom, Bloomberg tried to call him, and his phone was switched off. So um, I, I, I think he's going to change his number. number. Yeah, yes, yeah, I suspect yeah, probably, so. Probably. Even if that tweet was there for five seconds, it's out there in the. And world. we feel sorry for the guy that gets that recycled number because the people aren't going to stop calling. So it <laughs> turns out the smartest guy in the world who always amuses me no end comes from Pretoria which is where my mother's from is still dumb enough to tweet his own phone number <laughs> sorry Elan you might be Just a rocket scientist but uh, too easy access to too many apps and it gets mm. I mean if you're on the move I mean mm. this is where the problem comes in it's too much yeah. we have access to too much on our mobile device we don't have um, Elon Musk on our list of the biggest news stories of this year, but I suspect that he may be on our list when we do this podcast this time next year. I think he's on our list every year. I mean, every year he just does something. Yeah. Falcon no, Heavy is going up soon. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, hey. I mean, I look at how people either love him or hate him, and there's, there's, there's very little in between. People think he's either wonderful or tragically terrible. I mean, he's just a smart guy who's trying to push the envelope in a whole bunch of places. Yeah. He's got an incredible ego, according to everything yeah, I yeah, read. Yeah, yeah. Socially um, awkward as well. Socially awkward. I mean, you come from Pretoria, that's going to come with him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, he but, definitely wasn't the rugby playing type. No, no, no. But at the end of the day, he will probably do more to change the world than yeah. Steve Jobs, to, to whom he's always analogized. Yeah. I mean, think about the impact that he's going to have on motoring, space travel has already, yeah. you know, boring uh, underground tunnels, who knew that could even be a, a decent business, the Hyperloop, all of these other things. I mean, the Hyperloop was a throwaway idea yeah. that other people are developing. I mean, he really has. I mean, of course, he didn't build PayPal, he bought PayPal, but he still turned it into the mm. the, the, the thing that it was. Of course, the, the people who really do change the world are typically very flawed characters. I mm. mean, Steve Jobs was a very, very flawed character. Apparently, he was a very unpleasant person. I know, I know. I have a Steve Jobs story. I, I was. Um, I went to a press conference in Paris at a, an Apple event, and it was long before people were aware of him having cancer. And my sister-in-law was uh, was fighting off cancer. And at the time, it was also long before anyone knew what a shyster Lance Armstrong was. Mm-hmm. I bought a whole bunch of those Live Strong yellow bracelets, um, which I gave to everyone in my family to support my sister-in-law. And I put my hand up to ask a question and. I assume he saw the yellow bracelet because he was incredibly, I mean, people came up to me afterwards and said, hey, you're the guy that that Steve Jobs was nice to, a a very senior director (laughs) of Apple in Europe was incredibly, kept making this comment and I I didn't understand it at the time. I'm like, I just 
you know, asked him about ease of use, which I, you know, I suppose is a leading question because it's something he's interested in. Mm. Um, and then, of course, we discovered all of these stories about how truly terrible he was for people who worked for him. Um, but in the process, I touched his iPod. I'll have you know. Greatness. You came yeah, close to I, greatness. I, I, I think I touched Steve Jobs. I, I made it. I can, I can, I can die a happy man. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, it's interesting because I, I don't know if we – we're going to segue into what stories you think are important. Yeah, let's let's do that. Um, <laughs> segue into segue. Yeah, let's into, segue into you. other stories. Um, right, let me just manually get, get past all the show notes here, where I have to um, cut things out from earlier in the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Bitcoin. I, let's, I think we've covered uh, crypto um, yeah, adequately. Right. I mean, if you listen to um, libertarian economists, they'll say that this thing is going to destroy fiat currencies. The nation state is going to collapse. We're going to have a global economy run by crypto. Um, on the f- far other side of the equation, you've got guys saying this is a bubble. It's all going to burst and lots of people are going to get burnt. The truth is probably somewhere in between. Yeah. The real question is, does anybody really understand what Bitcoin is? I mean, you know, we talk about it, but we don't really know. People People always assume they think it's, oh, it's like a currency. Oh, I know like what it is. I don't know how it, how it gets its valuation. No, it but doesn't. that's what I'm saying. It I'm, does, I'm but, saying but then general, again, people but just don't understand it. Mm. I mean, we but, think we do, but we don't. But then again, it's kind of like the stock market. Like people think they understand the stock market and they think that it's underpinned by some kind of scientific methodology. The stock market is human nature writ large. People panic. Yes. People react like a herd. They, they, he sold, I better sell. Oh, my God, something's happening with Steinoff. Sell, sell, sell. There's no rationality. There's no uh, some grand system of, of scientific endeavor or, or, or rational thinking involved in it. The market is, is kind of like someone who needs to be on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication and, and should stop snorting so much cocaine. <laughs> you know, that's what the market is like. It, it's irrational. It, it, you know, it flies off the handle. It's kind of like my somewhat yeah. psycho-narcissistic ex-girlfriend, you know. Um, you know, that's the kind of thing that the market does. And there are these incredibly detailed studies that people have done about whether, you know, these, these, these currency brokers are, are some kind of geniuses or they're just lucky. Yeah. And mostly they're just lucky. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, sure, they work really hard. Mark Cuban saw various technologies on the way up and realized they would be a big thing. Mark Anderson built a browser, you know. Andreessen, Mark Andreessen. Andreessen, sorry. Netscape. Netscape, you know, there were a whole bunch of stuff that people did that was really good. But for the most part, a lot of these brokers and a lot of these venture capitalists who, you know, are considered some kind of demigod because of what they've done in the world, actually, they were in the right place at the right time. And they threw enough money at enough bets and they won. Mm. And, and basically, you know, like gambling, the house always wins. I mean, if, they, if no one's ever done a study of how much money venture capitalists have thrown at different ventures and how much of it has actually been successful. I'd love to know. I'd love to know what percentage of it's VC small. funding turns out to be successful. And the reason that it still happens is because when you hit big, you hit big. Yeah. When you hit a home run, the home run is good enough to win the game. Like I mean, Nuss that's Paris, just like Nuss Paris did with Tencent. Exactly. <laughs> no, well, yeah. You know, so 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 you can, you can have these grand and smart and brilliant VCs and uh, stockbrokers, but mm. at the end of the day, it's a herd mentality. People do things because they're scared of missing out. 
Anyway, I want to talk about two, my other two big tech stories of the year, both local stories. The first is the WOAN, because it's or the Wholesale Open Access Network, which I've been writing reams and reams about this year. It really is a big story, and it's going to continue to run into next year. Um, we've The industry is now divided on this issue. Celsi and Telcom have said they support the WOAN. MTN and Vodacom are generally opposed to it, although they've grudgingly said they're going to support it through this hybrid model, which the government has kind of thrown out of the door now. Um, but... Um, I'm personally very worried about it. I think that we're creating a new national infrastructure monopoly, and we've had monopolies in the sector before, and if we're going back to that, that's not a good idea. Um, Government wants there to be competition, but only at the services level. Um, I'm not going to rehash all the issues in this podcast because we've spoken about it many times this year already, but um, it's a big story this year. So let's analogize it to something that everybody can understand. There is a chocolate cake. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants a slice of the chocolate cake. What you want is people who already own their whole their own like confectionery factory mm. that you know pump out chocolate cakes every day, MTN and Vodacom. You want them to basically contribute. I don't know what's the percentage, ninety or eighty-seven percent. How much of the, do they collectively have of the marketplace? You want them to contribute. You know the vast majority, two-thirds more of the chocolate cake. And then share the pi- share the chocolate cake with everybody else who uses it. They've got to pay to put the ingredients in the chocolate cake, but everybody else mm. can uh, make as much money from selling the chocolate cake. Even though you know these two bakers are the ones who put most of the flour and sugar and chocolate sauce and you know secret sauce into making the chocolate. So I think I think that's the fundamental problem. The fundamental yeah. problem is that the, the economic principles don't work. And when the economic principles don't work, it doesn't matter how good your underlying social imperative is. Of course, you want to give people good free internet access. But there are many examples of doing that without hamstringing or cobbling the, the, the efforts of, of successful companies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, no, I'm not a free market marketeer as you are, Duncan. But I, I mean, if you look at how, say, for instance, in Kenya, Kenya has opened up competition in a very aggressive way. 2010, there was this rampant, uh, it started in 2010, competition between the networks to give cheaper data, right? Yeah. And as a result, you get fantastic data, the best internet air, uh, Wi-Fi fiber I've ever used in my life is Nairobi, better than anywhere else. Why? Competition. So what you're doing is you're saying, let's stop doing competition. Yeah. Let's try and make everybody become a socialist. Yeah. And look how that worked out for Eastern Europe. Um, and, and expect that, that human good nature will come out. It's not going to work. No. But what government could do that would make things better is start talking to the operators about the things they do that don't work. Right? MTN came out and said they only charge, th- uh, you know, what's it, 30 rand a megabyte. Only 30 rand a megabyte. In what universe? You know, this is the problem. The problem is the attention's been focused on the wrong things. You know, the, 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 this weighing is just never going to work. Why? Because you're trying to get four different people around a table, yeah. uh, two of whom don't need to be there, two of whom definitely need you to be there because they're the smaller players and it's in their interest. Um, it's going to be like number portability all over again. People will fight Stalingrad rearguard actions to keep it from happening. And then when it finally happens, it's going to be like, so what? Vodacom and MTN are actually in quite a powerful position, and I'm sure they know it. If they were to say, I'm sorry, we're not interested in participating in this WoW, and good luck, guys, the whole thing dies. Exactly. The whole thing dies. 
and they and they they just they're just not saying that outright. They mm. just they just you know employing a Zuma tactic, which is not you know not engaging and, and mm. putting up obstacles. And I, and I I mean frankly, <laughs> think about it. Right, you've spent how many tens, hundreds of billions of rands building a network, and someone comes along and says we're going to nationalise this. Well, what would you do? What would any right-thinking businessman do? Go to court. (laughs) Exactly, you know. Um, I mean, it could be worse, you know. We could have uh, Zwane, the mining minister, (laughs) running telecoms instead of, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but um, talking about competition, um, I think the last story that I've picked, FTTH in South Africa, which has been a fantastic success story in 2017. I mean, it started back in 2015, 2016 with Parkhurst. Vumatel, then OpenServe, and now there's two dozen fiber operators all rolling out fiber all over the country. And it's brilliant. I've got fiber at home running at 200 megabits a second. It's fantastic. It really changes everything. And pretty much the, certainly here in Johannesburg, the northern suburbs are covered. Cape Town rollout is starting in earnest. It's happening in KwaZulu-Natal, and that's going to continue for the next few years. But we're replacing that old legacy, horrible copper ADSL network with fiber, and um, it's, it's a game changer. Yeah. It changes everything. I mean, it, it, now, now as a as a as a kid, you can start a business in your garage like they do in Silicon Valley. You've got this hundred. The cost of port. access has fallen significantly. Yeah. And it's come down. It's I mean, I, I give you a, just since last year. I'll give you a quick, for instance, for stuff. Right, we yeah. we had a ten meg ADSL line. It synced at maybe seven megs. We're lucky if we got four. Mm. Um, it used to take us an three and a half hours to upload the magazine hmm. on average. I mean, it's because of PDF technology, I don't know, 100, 120, 150 megs. Yeah. And, um, and uh, the first time we uploaded it with fiber, right, from three and a half hours, it took two minutes and two seconds. <laughs> God, I love that fiber. Yeah, we, we, we have a fiber appreciation t- moment in every podcast, actually, yeah. just to pay homage to that wonderful it's, technology. It's totally game-changing. You know, I was, don't mention the Vumatel war. You know, don't mention the war. They put the box on my, my wife's house in Parkhurst the, the, the week we moved out. <laughs> <laughs> the week we moved out. Um, you got so fiber hoods where you are. I ended up with fiber hoods, which is Which fantastic. is now part of Vumatel. Part of Vumatel. I, I, you know, it's, 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 it's such a game changer. I mean, I always joke with people that it's like being part of the Internet 1% mm. because we have – such an unbelievable people come to my house and I put them on the network my wife always says why are you doing that like stop fiddling Just with their phones showing them and I, I mean I, I put them on I go update your apps and they all, everybody goes wow because that little loop that little donut goes whoop whoop yeah. whoop yeah. you know <laughs> and it go whoop 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 <laughs> Toby's currently doing a dance around the desk you can't see this because we don't have video here but, uh, <laughs> I mean it is like man it makes me happy I remember once my ADSL line broke down and I was so distressed and distracted and they, do that, they do that accident. all the time ADSL yeah, you know, was always broken always and N- the, 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 what I love about it is is the fact that I guess service providers seem to be a bit more jacked and things get resolved. I mean, if there, if there is ever any downtime, I think I had it once, mm. um, it was resolved very quickly. And, and that's, that to me is important. You know, if they can fix a line break when somebody breaks at the third party contractor, yeah. I mean, that's important. We know Telcom never had a good record with fixing copper lines no. in the ground. Yeah. But just one thing on the fiber to them I want to mention. Yes. I, I think it's important to remember also what Vumatel did for Alexandra. 
when mm. they installed um, good point basically mm. what's it under oh, they're still doing bucks. it they're still yeah, doing, they're still doing it. it but it's gonna making that available as wi-fi i mean how many people are going to club together get a router share the wi-fi i mean fantastic it's virtually going to become fantastic initiative more. i really really hope it works i mean it's, it's because most people you know most people listening to a podcast can afford a decent connection they can yeah. afford decent yeah broadband on their cell phones but the vast majority of people simply can't afford it. You know, the vast majority of people in this country who have a smartphone actually switch off mobile yeah, data on their phone yeah, for most yeah. of the day. I mean, the statistic really I think sad. is two-thirds of people use it and two-thirds, yeah. a, a third of people simply don't. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it gives you a real sense of the fact that it is just too expensive. And, mm. and because the government is so focused on, you know, who's winning which tender and you know who can who can continue to loot as much as they can. Their focus is not on inspiring young businesses or small businesses and giving them the tools that they need mm-hmm. um, to do better business. And what is the first and foremost thing that most people need to run a business or be a, a, a person in this digital world, a digital citizen, mm-hmm. is decent internet access and cheap internet access. I mean, what I pay for fiber. 750 rand i mean this i've got i've got a package from vox 750 rand a month for 300 gigs of data 100 megs up and down they give me a gigabyte of of cellular data a month on a sim card through mtn and it's signing bonus of 1.8 terabytes now there's just no way in the universe even stuff with our very intense data users can go through that now that is just a game changer for for a, a 10 meg adsl line you're paying more than that I, yeah. we paid one two hmm. so but i'm paying the inconvenience of not having that speed that instant upload i mean for oh. me the video upload side is very important you know being able to, to throw a gig file firstly to dropbox to back hmm. it up secondly to youtube or, or to another sharing platform yeah. i mean it, it's it doesn't cost me anything anymore in terms of time I mean, it, used it to shows you take the power of competition yeah what really I find disappointing, though, is that the politicians, government, has not got up on a, onto, not that I've heard anyway, got up onto a podium and said, hey, Vumatel, Neil Skuman, what you're doing in Alexandria is fantastic. They haven't said a thing. We'll give him a medal. We'll give him the tech, the talk central gold medal for social good this year. Well done. Neil Skuman, our newly minted. I mean, not so much a medal. We'll just like print something out and laminate. We'll make you a certificate on this podcast. We'll make you a certificate and we'll laminate it, Neil. Well done. It's in the post. Um, post office uh, might not get to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be surprised. I'm Actually, they're not bad. They're not bad. Mark Barnes the other day. Yeah. After they'd signed the Sassy uh, Sasa event. Uh, sorry, the social grants tender. Yeah. yeah. Deal. Oh, yeah, after they'd signed this big deal. And, and I mean, it's a no-brainer. I mean, this post office is a very interesting little company. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the you know... If the, they can make, fix it, I mean, it would be a great... They've got the, they got the retail I think they infrastructure. Need to start with in-house IT, because every time I go there to do something, the systems are offline. Yeah. So they should but start that's, But that's true of just about every government government. Com- yeah. I, I, I mean, you, as you mentioned it, Rechard, I just suddenly thought I went to go get my son a passport. The IT systems were slow. Every time I've gone to renew my driver's license, everybody says the same thing. I mean, they, there's, you know, they, they need to bring Mavusa Msamang back to run CETA so that they can get the systems working. I mean, you look at a country, uh, you know, the Nordic countries where that, that kind of stuff is just done. Mm-hmm. And, and you can spend the rest of your conscious energy as a government looking at more important things than like, keeping the IT systems up. I mean, this is yeah. a given in this age. 
So, Rechard, just having a look at your um, big stories of 2017 list, we've spoken about Bitcoin already, we've yep. spoken about bots and social media, yep. which leaves you to talk about drones as a big drones. story. Why, why was drones your third pick for this year? Well, okay, so I have to confess I do some work in this space, so I'm, I'm close to it, and that's, that's to me is why I'm picking it, because I've seen some things happen in the industry, and I kind of see uh, people's, um, the way that people are adopting this. Hmm. But drones in general, I mean, if you look at why they became popular, it's essentially a, a, a robotic toy that you can, like your RC car that you could drive around. But what a lot of companies have done is they've, I mean, they've enhanced this to become the camera that you've never had, the camera that can go places that you can never go. But now there was a, there's a third vertical that's that's coming to play, and and that's kind of the agriculture and security, <coughs> sorry, the agriculture and security industries. And and what I've seen these guys do, specifically in South Africa, is has really has really captured my imagination because with agriculture I mean there's so much you can do with a drone uh, if you're a hobbyist there's so much you can do with a drone if you are a cinematographer there's so much you can do with a drone and the fact that the prices are you know keep dropping and the technology is is military grade for all intents and purposes I thought it, I thought it was a good pick because we're well, going to see a lot more of this and, and just in, in, in more intense fashion. Oh, do you think we, I mean, Amazon has been piloting drone deliveries. Do you think that um, they're going to be used in everyday commerce for, for e-commerce? For Eventually, and that sort of definitely, thing? definitely. I mean, without a doubt. Is it does it make sense? It makes sense, but mm. we're not, we, don't have the, we don't have the global infrastructure. We don't have automotive or, or, or autonomous um, planes or autonomous um, air traffic control that regulates all these things that are happening in the sky. At the moment, mm. you've got airplanes and you've got everything else. Yeah. Practically, it works. I mean, physically, you've seen these you've seen these experiments and how they deliver. I mean, it works. Medicine in Africa can get dropped. They're already doing that. You know, launch a drone, drop medicine, drop blood supply, whatever it is. But we need the supporting infrastructure, like we with with self-driving cars. We need that supporting infrastructure. We need um, more vehicles on the road to be able to self-driving vehicles on the road to be able to calculate where they are to to each other and be able to avoid accidents. That mm. kind of thing. The same with drones. We just need the technology to allow us to do this without flying into trees or buildings or misdeliveries or chopping somebody's finger off when they're trying to steal the package or something like that. <laughs> I, mean, I, yeah, I, love these, I love these conversations about drone deliveries. I mean, in Africa, it's an everyday reality, and it has been since October last year. Zipline, albeit an American company, is delivering blood in Rwanda, and it's mm. starting in Tanzania. I mean, this is life-saving stuff. I spoke to the founder earlier this year, and... I mean, I mean, it's just that what they're doing is the future. Yeah. Yeah. Blood delivery is a really big issue. You know, forget about pizzas and Amazon stuff. I mean, this is the real stuff and it's happening right here in Africa. People's lives are being saved by drones using, you know, it's a beautiful mm. story. I mean, it's a, once the drone takes off, it's totally autonomous. It uses mm. the cell phone networks to guide itself to the hospital. Mm -hmm. The whole process is, is remarkably, you know, new generation. You, you, uh, you, the doctors from a clinic or a hospital phone the base station, which is just outside of the capital, Kigali, within 15 to 30 minutes, that blood will be delivered uh, anywhere within 75 kilometers. And they, um, you know, they use these drones that are shaped like planes. They catapult it into the air. And from the moment they take off, they use the cell phone networks to guide themselves to the destination. They send the doctor an SMS, just like Uber saying, uh, your package has <laughs> your arrived. Yeah. arrived, please step out. And it floats down with a little uh, red um, uh, uh, box and, and, and pa parachute or paper, it's a recyclable, and then the drones turn around and fly back. And 
I mean, they, they, they've said they've done about 2,500 of those, of which 400 are emergency deliveries when someone's in an operating theater and they desperately need blood or they're going to die. And the vast majority of those, I'm told, are women immediately after labor. So, yeah. so here we have, you know, all of these companies, pizza companies and Amazon, you know, talking about some new fancy technology that will deliver you your, you know, uh, products from Amazon or your, your cold pizza. Have you seen the video of those guys eating the pizza? It's patently no. cold. <laughs> and they go, mm, yummy. And here we have drone deliveries being done in Africa yeah. in a way that it's not being done anywhere. And it's the, it's the kind of next evolution of the innovation that came out of the, the social, uh, of the mobile networks. So yeah. first was the mobile networks. Then you had payment systems like M-Pesa. On top of M-Pesa, you've been able to buy things like M-Copa or, or solar-powered kits and pay them off over a year. And then on top of all of this, you have drone deliveries. I mean, the funniest thing for me about um, the Zipline system is that uh, the founder says they buy family packs of SIM cards because they get a cheaper rate. Mm. You know? mm. So, mm. so you, you, you see the, the innovation happening here in a place where we don't have any alternatives. So sure, you've got to worry about planes and helicopters and other obstacles, but you know, where, you, where you have the enabling legislation and it's doing something good, look at the real example of drone deliveries. It's still hypothetical in the old world, and here in the new world, it's working. And uh, Toby, of course, is um, very passionate about innovation in Africa. He uh, yeah. did a, when was it, about a, two years ago now, you did a, a, a presentation at TED. Uh, with, well, with going three years ago. Yeah, four years ago, TED Global oh, in Edinburgh. Time is flying. Uh, well worth uh, going to have a look at that if you haven't seen it yet on the TED website. Um, let's, let's move on. We are a um, bit pressed for time, um, but uh, let's maybe go through our... Um, I'll look at the best technologies of 2017 quickly. Richard, maybe I could start, ask you to start this time. What, what uh, three products or technologies have really, um, or do you, you believe have had a real impact this year? So, I mean, there was a lot, there was a lot happening. <coughs> Sorry, there was a lot happening, but the three that stood out for me, and uh, the first one we spoke about a few podcast episodes ago when you first showed me the Nokia 8 and told me about its pure Android experience. I'm not picking the phone in particular because it's a great phone, yeah. but the fact that we're getting devices now that's giving us a pure Android experience, it's the kind of thing that has really made me look at the platform slightly different. Not that there was anything wrong with the skins and stuff, but coming from an Apple platform, you know, you, I've got a, I, I kind of like where Google is going with their basic look and feel, similar to what I like what Apple is prescribing to the users in, in that look and feel. So on the pure Android front, you know, it's something we can keep our eye out, especially for, for the new Oreo release coming to most new devices. In fact, the Nokia 8 test device that I had a week ago um, just had the Oreo update as I took it back that day. Okay. So I had a little bit of time to play with it, but yeah, the, the pure Android experience, it was back when I first heard about Android as a smartphone, that was the experience that I wanted. Give me like a Windows-like experience, like a desktop experience on a mobile phone across all devices. Give me the same look and feel. Okay. The second one that I chose, um, and I haven't, I'm still waiting for my review kit. I'm going to do some interesting look uh, look at this. Is the Yale Home Security System? So earlier this year, uh, they in South Africa launched a, a security kit um, that essentially allows you to um, have an internet-connected home security system. Now, what I like about the fact that Yale did it, I mean, Yale's a, a well-known security brand, so when they come out with a standard, they, they, they said they're going to bring a lot of add-ons to this, so the fact that, you know, you, you won't be sitting with a with a brick in a year because you can't add more cameras and that kind of thing. There's still much to be said about um, uh, uh, kind of 
the technologies that can work with each other. So, you know, if this works with a third-party camera manufacturer. But as a, as a kit for about five grand, you know, buying a alarm system that you can install in your home, I'm not too worried about connecting it to an armed security response, but I want to have access to everything. I want to see some cameras. I want to see uh, which pacifiers are activated, that kind of thing. I really like what they bring to the table. Now, my last pick uh, is something that I'm very excited about, is the HTC Vive. And I'm picking it because it's finally available in South Africa. Uh, and if you don't know what it is, I'm sure everybody here would uh, would have. Of course, everyone's a stuff reader, <laughs> so they know that was our gadget yes. of the year last year. Yes, so that one. Okay, so it's finally available in South Africa. It's virtual reality, and it's probably one of the best versions that you can buy. Um, obviously, you've got Facebook's Oculus Rift, which is great. But what I like about the HTC Vive is it was built in conjunction with uh, Valve Corporation, the guys that do Steam. Yeah, smart move. Very smart move. So they've got the platform. They've got Killer Steam VR smart as move. well. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it's about 15 grand if you buy the unit on its own, so you need a beefy piece to run it. If you don't have a beefy piece, you're going to have to buy it. It's obviously going to cost you a lot more. You're going to have to get the computer as well. But for the first time, we have a very nice consumer version of virtual reality. The only thing I'm looking forward to over and above this is the Microsoft HoloLens. I think that's also mm -hmm. got some pretty interesting applications. Mm -hmm. But those are my three picks I certainly think worth looking, looking out for. Nice, nice picks. I'm, I must say I'm really looking forward to playing flight simulation games on, uh, on VR. Mm. Uh, that must be pretty amazing. I'm a big fan of X-Plane 11, which came out a few months ago. Uh, and uh, just on a flat screen, it looks it looks incredible, and it's got full support for immersive VR with the Vive and other devices. So I look forward to trying that. Maybe the yeah. most excited I've ever seen you talk about <laughs> technology. <laughs> when it comes to flat sims, yeah, you got you got. I love flat sims. I, I love flat that sims. was your 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 vice of choice. <laughs> One of our vices. <laughs> so, um, Toby, um, I see the death of the bezel at the top of your list here. Uh, yes, yes, I'm going with the theme here: the yeah. death of the bezel. Samsung's Galaxy 8 introduced us to smartphones without the, the bezel, you yeah. know, which is the, the little black strip down the sides and the top of the phones. And, and, and I, I mean, a stunning piece of technology, really, uh, yeah. uh, and a tour de force return to, to, to top dog status. Mm. Um, Duncan holds up his Galaxy S8 with, with a gleeful smile. Um, I love this phone. It's fantastic. <clears throat> very good phone. I mean, I've been playing with one. I, I'm very impressed with it. I think the, the screen quality is exceptional. The, the, the camera is really great. Um, low light pictures, excellent. Uh, bad placement. If anything, the only thing wrong with it is the bad placement of the fingerprint reader. Although when you put a case on it, it's actually very easy to find. You just put your finger there. Um, oh, oh, so once wow. there's a case on it, it actually yeah. makes a lot of sense. I see. I see. Well, very good. But the, but the really a great return to force for, for yeah. Samsung. As a and they needed to do it after yeah, the after Note debacle. Note 7, I can't, I can't think of any more destructive thing for a brand. And they've returned, and they've returned with an exceptionally good product. Same too with the Note 8. Very, very, very good products. Um, and, of course, it's very healthy for Samsung as a company because mm. of their, their whole uh, business. The telecoms is by far the most profitable, and in telecoms, mobile is yeah. by far their biggest earner. So, so good for them. Great device. Uh, clever spin-offs. The DeX, the desktop, um, uh, the desktop uh, device, the mm. interface. I think that's exceptional. I'm, I'm a big Clever fan idea. of that. Mm. Yeah, very, very but, uh, good. They didn't come up with it. Um, no, it's been around for yeah. ages, but they, they made did it, well. it work yeah, and they, they made it well. easy. You know, mm. what, is, what is it about Apple that everybody loves? It's the ease of use. It's taken Android a long time to get to the same. You know, your, your points about uh, the vanilla Android experience are true. You know, like we most people don't experience Android. They're experiencing 
Samsung skin or Huawei skin mm-hmm. or Xiaomi skin. You know, they're experiencing an overlay of Android itself. We want to curate this, curate us, and tell us what works best for this. And that's why, I like uh, uh, Apple, because you know, some might call it a walled garden, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm following kind of a route that they've set out, and it's been working. You know? Well, yeah. well I tell you why I'm a fan. So, so I try both, and I use, I always use, I always use a, a Windows and an Android device. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I feel like journalists shouldn't be ivory tower people. I know I use Macos. a Mac. But you, sh- yeah, I mean, I, I you know, use I everything. Use a, oh, Windows, okay, <coughs> you have to yeah, use yeah, everything. Yeah. Uh, you have to experience what what everyone else experiences. Um, but uh, but there's something about Apple that just works better. I'm sorry to say that the, the integration of the hardware and the single thing that I use the most on uh, on on my iPhone is cut and pasting of text. I do a lot of text editing, writing, moving, and that is just superior on iOS than it is on Android. Um, also, I'm you know I'm a, I'm very security conscious, and I, and I wrote about this when BBM was first launched as a standalone app. What is that? Two years ago, three years ago, mm. when it it appeared first in the in the Android store, and I went to go download it. And after I downloaded several several malware versions of it, oh, and discovered what they were, I did some research. At the time, Trend Micro said there were three hundred thousand malware apps. In the Play Store. Now, now I'm sorry. I, I, I'm really conscious about my security. And Android gives apps an unreasonable amount of access to your personal information, your contacts, your calendar, where you are, what you're doing. And now that we've has just, changed, though. You now we've no. It's gotten worse. Now we've just well. So, so they've they've shut down some of the malware, which is, can't be difficult. Come on. I mean, if it says it's BBM and it isn't, some quality con- assurance controller's got to pick that up. But the revelations in the last few weeks that Android continues to track you even though you tell it not to and you do a factory reset, that's terribly, terribly worrying. That's really scary stuff. Um, that was just for you. Um, Say it again. Stuff. Stuff. Uh, on sale now. <laughs> but the, the, you know, the, that's what scares me about Android, the fact that, that, it, that it snoops yeah. so much on you. Um, so, 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 you know the new iPhone 10, which I've been using for about three weeks or four weeks now, which which is really fantastic. And and the thing that's changed, so it's it, you know Apple hasn't been at the front of the innovation curve for a long time. Samsung's been doing wireless charging. Uh, Huawei's included an AI chip in their new Mate devices. I mean, there's been a lot of other impressive developments. I mean, mm. I really wish Apple would bring a back button to to the iPhone, um, but. What Apple's done, which is, which is, and it's significant, it's worth pointing out, we are about to go through a major change in the way we use our smartphones. If, as expected, Android will copy Apple, as Apple has been copying Android for the last few years, and, and before that, uh, Android copied most of Apple's features and looks and et cetera, et cetera. The way we have interacted with our smartphones for the last 10 years has been through the home key. What did Apple do that was so remarkable? They took away all the buttons. They gave us one. One button that took us to the home key. Then slowly they added like double-click functionality, so you could you know do a few odds and ends, and then they put in force touch and all that other stuff that isn't really useful. But what you did was you had one sync button as an interface for 
for, for dealing with the dominant technology of our day. It has been fluid, it has been easy, it has been intuitive. You can give a phone to a one-year-old, they know how to use it and what to do with it. It's, it's been remarkable. And because Apple has ditched the home key in the iPhone X and they've started using this gesture where you swipe up, um, it, it, it feels totally natural, totally normal. It's an evolution of, of the interface as we've known it. Within a couple of days, I, you know, I had no issue whatsoever, your, your muscle memory parts. Every time I use my phone, my wife's iPhone 8 and I have to use the button again, it's kind of like this old thing. You know, it's, yeah. it, it, it's fascinating how quickly and, and easily you can adopt this new technology. So it's worth pointing out. I mean, no one cured cancer, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not that significant a, a change or shift in the world, but it is still something quite significant. The way we interface with our devices has fundamentally changed. And I was, I was kind of, uh, you know, do, we, do I really want to move away from the fingerprint reader? The fingerprint reader is very accurate. It's very good. You can to open your phone and look at it um, um, uh, quite easily. You can look at your phone as I just did under the, under the desk without, you know, uh, alerting anybody that you're checking your mail. But this face recognition software, I've got to say, I, I put it at about 95% accurate. Recognizes me with my normal glasses, my sunglasses, my other pair of glasses. Doesn't recognize me with my glasses off. Um, but in the, for the most part, it's, it's very effective. And it is a major new change in the interface of how we're going to deal with our smartphone. So it's worth just pointing that out. Um, and uh, You wanted to talk about the death of privacy in, in relation yeah, to voice I mean, I assistance. Think, I think we've spoken about, about this a, a lot. I mean, the, the, the real kind of terrible, um, the real terrible thing about these voice assistants that no one seems to notice, and the reason I won't have one is that, it, I mean, the Amazon Alexa and Echo combination records everything you say. You're putting something in your house that uh, is that may be listening at any time, and you're uploading it into the cloud. It sounds like I mean, a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, exactly. Right? And people say, "Yeah, but I've got like I've got nothing to hide. The NSA can read my mail. I've got nothing to hide." That's not the point. No. The point of privacy is something else. And I, and I, of course, I've got nothing to say. I mean, I'm pleased. I have a six-month-old son. Most of the conversations in my house are nonverbal. You know. Younger. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, even when my wife and I are talking to him. Um, so, so of course, there's nothing to hide, but it's deeply. It's a matter of principle. Yeah, profoundly disturbing. And already, you know, there's this a CSI spin-off called CSI Cyber, I think it was called, and they they had one scenario where they tried to subpoena the records of 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 one of these voice assistants. They obviously didn't call it an echo um, to get. Uh, the records of what happened. And of course, that's already the case. That's yeah. Several of those cases have happened. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the case. I mean, my favorite story about the, the, the Amazon Echo thing was, um, <laughs> there was a story about somewhere in Florida, a little girl said, Alexa, I want a doll's house. And the next day, a $400 <laughs> doll's house arrived at the house. So, so a local TV station did a little news clip about, and this little girl said, Alexa, I want a doll's house. So it turns out not only does Alexa not differentiate between adults and, and children voices, but it, it can't differentiate between television and, and, and voices in the same room. So about, <laughs> about 400 houses around Florida <laughs> suddenly got a doll's house <laughs> delivered to them the next day. So they're, they're flaws. <laughs> they're flaws. Uh, my personal favorite of the year, which you're about to hear, 
is uh, is the very clever little. Um, oh, here we go. There's something moving across the tabletop here. Art D2 robot from uh, from Sphero. You know, so Sphero oh, have yes. made this this great little device. It's like R2 D2. Um, of course, everybody listening is a is a. A Star Wars fan. You just said I? you're a poo-poo head. Is that right? <laughs> is that but, thing all right? But the thing is, is that <laughs> it's a little R2-D2 droid. Yeah, that's which quite of cool. course was it my... beautiful. My favorite device uh, of... Uh, or my favorite character in the Star Wars movies. I, I, I will admit my age and say I watched it as a six-year-old when it first came out in 1977. And absolutely loved R2-D2. I can't tell you why. And of course, my whole life, you've been able to buy R2-D life-size R2-D2 mm. robots that cost, you know, $100,000. Mm. For 3,000 Rand, you can get a workable, functioning R2-D2 and a BB-8 that just totally works. They've got the three-leg thing, you know, working. It makes all the noises. I, I am geek that I am going to watch the original movie with it. You know, they've just released the software patch to it. And I believe so you can leave this thing to roam around your house yeah, on, it's of great. its own accord. It's, you put it on patrol mode and it kind of maps maps the technology. <laughs> Not good if you have a bull terrier or a big dog that can eat it, but very funny if you have a six-month-old son who's clearly a Star Wars fan already. Um, <laughs> the dog runs and hides, but the, <laughs> the kid loves it. It's got a little personality. It's just moving like it's looking around, or it looks like he's looking around. Oh, there. There we go. He's, uh, I think he's about to shoot a laser at me. <laughs> that is awesome. Just kicked Rechard's laptop. This is not the droid you're looking for. <laughs> anyway, that's good fun. That's good fun. So that's your pick of the year, is it? Um, well, it's my, you know. <laughs> let's make let's you know for the for the your supplemental pick yeah supplemental captain's log supplemental. <laughs> captain's log supplemental we thought that sounded a bit dirty um so uh, my pixar galaxy s8 and iphone x so uh we'll go straight past that and i was going to talk about smart speakers so i'll go straight past that the only thing left on my list to talk about is the rise of amd ryzen on desktop it's been an interesting yeah. return uh yeah. The company uh, f has been in the wilderness for years. I mean, they've been b big in graphics cards, but um, in because uh, of Bitcoin, that's why. But 15 I years mean, who, ago, they the gave video a and 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 that division and and what they're doing for mining. I mean, yes. that's great for them. Yes, not but so much for the environment. But the rise in processes, um, a big story this year, and giving Intel the first real run for their money in in desktop and laptop processes for. 15 years yeah um, and Intel has responded by cutting prices and introducing new high-end chips and uh, competition, competition is, good, is always good yeah. for consumers so um, it's great to see AMD uh, back in the game and I think that uh, I think that it's good news for PC buyers and uh, Rachat, you and I are both going to be building PCs next year yeah I'll definitely be reading more about Ryzen whether it's a, an option to consider over Intel uh, when we do that Intel still so so dreamy looking, you know. <laughs> it's got a very good name, that's for sure. So that's it. Um, we've uh, looked at our big uh, news stories of the year and looked at our technology trends and picks. Toby and played with a little Star Wars robot. Played with a Star Wars a robot. A geek event in total. In total. <laughs> Believe it or not, there's only four days to Christmas. Um, are you, no, you're staying crazy. in Joburg this year, Toby? I am. I don't know why. People always ask the Jew in the room about Christmas, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> ha well, I'm sorry, happy holidays. 
Happy holidays. <laughs> and Rachel, you've just come back from Durban, haven't you? No, I actually didn't go. I okay. have too much work to do. Yeah, okay. no, so I'll leave that for next year. Next year. Okay. But I've got the HTC Vive, so that's been keeping me busy. Good. That means you are not going to get a tad this Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I am officially on holiday as of the conclusion of this podcast, so uh, I am uh, rather excited. So about let's keep this. it going. We can do a three, five-hour podcast. Um, no, we can't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's do our quiz results. First question: Ihona FM this week announced a new funding round from which company? The answer there is Clifftop Clif Ventures. Uh, what did Elon Musk accidentally do this week? And that's, of course, tweeted his cell phone oh, number. I was going to say, me, me, me. I know the answer. <laughs> you can do the next one, Toby. Read it. Do, do you want to do the next one, Toby? Who, uh, which telecoms CEO this week unsurprisingly launched an impassioned plea, <laughs> impassioned defense He's of government's re -re planned wholesale open area networks. That's telecoms CPO Maseko. I've got to say, if I chose a, a telecoms businessman of the year, that he would be it. He's done a great job. Yes, he has. He has yeah. done a very good job at Telcom. But, uh, of course, he would defend the WAN because uh, he doesn't have the cash to compete with MTN yeah. and Vodacom. Um, a war of words has erupted between Huawei and its former local retail partner. What is the name of that retail partner? And it's fantastic. One Mobile. And the final question. Who did the U.S. blame this week for the WannaCry cyber attack? And the answer is North Korea. And that's our show, Rech uh, Rechot. Toby, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it is so hot in here, my brain is starting to melt. There can be only one. Actually, there are two of us in the phone book. <laughs> really? Yeah. They are. Yeah, two Duncan McClouds. Yeah. I can't believe you've still never seen Highlander. Never. I still not. I, I believe it's awful. Let's, let, let's watch it. No, it's great. Apart from the hairdo. <laughs> I mean, Queen. Blue Mastery Wire. Uh, the soundtrack, I believe, is quite good. The yeah. Queen did the soundtrack. Mm. It's mm. exceptional. Yeah. The big hair, not so much. The rest of it, pretty good. Yeah. A, a lot of people watch that movie. It's actually quite amazing. Wherever I go, what's your Better than burn out <laughs> and fade away. I think we should say that a lot of people watched that movie back in the 1700s. It's not that popular anymore. <laughs> Listen, you have more gray hair than I do, Chanab. <laughs> right. It's time for me to pack my sword away uh, and go on holiday. Thank you so much for joining us, Toby. This has been a great discussion. Great. There can only be one holiday. <laughs> only one holiday. That's this for sure. Year. This year, yeah. <laughs> we'll have another one next year. <laughs> I will see you two gentlemen in a couple of weeks, no doubt, yeah. uh, at a press conference or in this very room. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you, Toby. Thank you, Duncan. I am going to go and edit out all your swearing now. And... Um, yeah, if you want to swear again, this is probably the opportunity because it's right at the end. So. Oh, you're such a f***ing nice guy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, have happy holidays, everyone, and we'll chat to you in 2018.